everyone, and welcome back to Deadline City. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I'm Danielle Clayton. And where are we going today, Danielle? We're going to the big idea barn. (laughs) I've always wanted a barn, so that's where we're going. I have always wanted a barn, too. I don't want to clean the barn, but I want a barn. I want a barn. I want, like... A retrofitted cool barn, not like an animal barn. Okay. Oh, correct. I, I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> but in this barn that we're going to today, we're going to talk about the big idea. And we're going to talk about the hit idea. And when we say big idea, we mean the big idea that sort of takes off. The books that you see in every bookstore, the ones in the window, the one that everyone's talking about, the ones on the, you know what I mean, that all that seem to have galvanized a big following. Mm-hmm. Like, have you read? Have you read? Um, yeah. Talk about it's that fucking book. book that even when you go half across the world to Crete, an island with X amount of people, three people are still reading it at the beach. Correct. Right around you. It's the book that you can't escape. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like the one that you're like, God damn it, not that book again. Like, mm-hmm. what? Um, and so I was thinking about this a lot because, you know, also the big idea or the hit idea can also be manufactured, right? And mostly it is manufactured through a series of things in publishing that can happen for it, right? Sure. Barnes and Noble's book of the year, right? It can become, or one of their monthly book picks in the UK, it can be a Waterstones book of the year. It can be selected for a big book club, Reese's book club. Um, Good morning, America. Book of the month. Book club, right? Like, and get a spotlight that way. It can be read by tons of celebrities. It can get a high profile adaptation so that everybody's watching it. And it's like star studied. Right. And I just wanted to talk about sort of like, like how is that sort of created? Like who gets to create those big ideas and, what have we noticed in sort of the themes of that? Because this is not something that you can set out to to do, at least as a marginalized content creator. I could never say, you know what? I'm going to write the bi- like a book that is a big idea that's going to blow up. Like that's going to be my next novel. Mm-hmm. I wish. I wish. There are books that become big and hit that were slow and steady mm-hmm. or were not, were underdogs, Right complete underdogs where you weren't, didn't even see them coming. Yeah. And some of them you're like, okay, that makes sense. And I'm thinking about, I keep going into Barnes and Noble and seeing their Barnes and Noble book pick of the year. I guess it's the 2020. This is the first time. I don't remember a book of the year before 2022. So I wonder if that's a new thing or maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but actually no, because when I walked into Barnes and Noble around Christmas the entire window was like book of the year. And it was just an entire window display in the union square, Barnes and Noble to lessons in chemistry. Right. That Pepto-Bismol pink, I actually like the cover, but like, it feels very retro mid-century, whatever. I know a lot of people don't. Um, And so, you know, I was like, okay, someone sent it to me and I started to read it and I was like, Oh, I understand why this book is big because every other chapter is this is a book about sexism for white women. And like that is the theme that is hammered every other chapter. Oh, right. This is sexism for white women in the 60s. This is about what white women can't do and glass in like shattering the glass ceiling. Like, yay. Like, and it's the same thing when I try to read Crawdads. Uh, where the crawdads sing. I'm like, oh, this is a book about white people being poor and having to overcome adversity. Oh, and getting away with murder. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Don't forget Tiffany D. Jackson would say, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, And so I just was like, okay, so some of these hit big ideas are really hit themes, right? They're exploring certain thematic content in these books that resonate with a lot of white women readers that then it snowballs, right? We could even say the shit stain of publishing, which I will call American dirt was thematically. It's like, Oh, this is a book about those Latinos. Um, And so like, and so, and all the non Latinos need to read this book and understand. Right. And so, and that became the thematic thing that they launched, latched onto to launch this thing. And, and I just, 
I just have a lot of questions about this, these big ideas. Who gets to write the big idea? The help was a big idea, right? right. A woman mm-hmm. writing stories of black domestic workers in the South in Mississippi, where my family is from. That was a big idea. That book was written for white women to, uh, to feel sorry for and to think about their, com- like their complicit nature in the dehumanization of black women um, in the 60s and, and to make them feel a certain kind of way. That book was huge. Mm-hmm. It, I do it, think that I do think that it is possible to orchestrate, like to say, I'm going to take this trope, this trope, this trope, and make a book and make a number one bestseller. And I, I, I think like there are very few instances where that works. Um, I remember a, oh my God, the book has escaped me, but in like the middle teens of the year 2000, um, right? Like during during that time period, during the boom of YA and like around 2012, there was a couple who wrote adult fiction and decided they were going to write like a garbage YA with all the tropes and it didn't work for them and it Hmm. tanked. Um, and I, I can see the cover and I can't remember their name. That's, that's like how, that's how, like how much it flopped, right? Like it went to flop town, flop city. Um, And so when we, when we, when we approach something as the big idea, we have to be very careful about intention, um, and about expectation. So let's run us through. Oh, that, that's really interesting though. Cause it made me start thinking about, um, and wondering was eat, pray, love, or was that just a hit out the gate? I don't remember. I remember because the, the first thing I saw of it was the Julia Roberts movie. I don't remember oh, the yeah. book. Every white woman reading that book. Yeah. I don't on, remember that book on the subway. Um, and it just, it, it makes me want, it just, it just makes me. I so let's talk. So we have break it down for me again. So we have big ideas manufactured. Right. With right. Hit with themes and those big ideas could also be big themes. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I look at these books, I think of them as thematic things that, that are pressed down upon. Right. And when you say manufactured, you mean we're talking about publishers creating this success. Yes. Yes. Not, not that like a public, like an author has manufactured it. Cause I, I don't think that's possible. No, I don't think it's possible. Uh, the publishing machine has turned on right. The for these machine. books. Yeah. And created hits and made those books into these big hits and these big ideas. Right. Um, and so, and I would say the ones that we've brought up so far feel like that. Um, and they are, they touch on certain themes because of our weird society as well. Right. I think Twilight was uh, a publisher manufacturer. Uh, mm-hmm. success because uh, it was it was the biggest deal that had been made for YA at the time at the time period where it was bought according to publishing people that I've talked to I didn't realize that. I feel like it was I think that's how it was reported in 2003 2004 I remember that book being absolutely everywhere and I remember I remember the day that I bought it Cause I was at a Barnes and Noble in Missoula, Montana, where I was going to university. Um, and, Hello. and the cover reminded me of my favorite book, Demon in My View by Amelia Atwater Rhodes. And when, as soon as I saw, I was like, oh my God, it's also a vampire book. Took it home. I was homesick. I read it and I loved it. You were obsessed. Yeah. I read it in one sitting. I also think publishers. I don't. Were, I don't. I wasn't obsessed. Like I didn't go to like the midnight parties, and I didn't like. I was never like team so and so, but I, I, I remember hugely enjoying it. I think that that was a time also when publishers first started targeting teen reader, teen girls specifically. Like we're going after this demographic. We're hunting them. We're going to give them the catnip that they need to go crazy over mm-hmm. our thing. Um, and they were very strategic and very um, smart about it. I don't know if it works now. When I think of 
a hit idea in the YA world. We haven't had one, I think, since Children of Blood and Bone. Mm-hmm. Where the publishing machine turned on. Right, the publishing book. machine, right, there were there were signs down, like, the whatever highway L.A. people like to talk about. Um, right. <laughs> Someone in L.A. will correct us and tell sure, us. What surely. I don't know. Yeah. We should have called Fletcher McNeil. Damn it. <laughs> We're embarrassing her um, with our limited L.A. speak. Um, but, yeah, they turned on the machine for that book. I haven't seen the machine turn on for another book at that level. I've seen semi hits, um, but not, not like that where the, where they were like, we're going to make this work. We're going to do whatever it takes to the market with this thing. Um, the way that lessons in chemistry, the way that crawdads, um, flood have been flooding. Right. Because I keep thinking, this writer asked me, this up-and-coming writer was like, how do you create a hit idea? How do you create the book that everybody wants to read? God damn it. That is an impossible, that, like, that is an enigma wrapped in a burrito, wrapped in a taco. Right. We will never, <laughs> an endless one, right? Mm-hmm. With endless layers. Because we will never, we'll never get that because we don't get to decide that. And, like, there are some some books that the machine turns into turns on for and creates a hit, creates a big idea. And then there are others that do it organically. Mm-hmm. Like Colleen, Miss Colleen Hoover, her books became hit culturally. We had a mm-hmm. cultural shift. We were it is a cultural, it is the selling, outselling fucking Jesus. Look, you know? She eaten up, she eaten up Jesus. She eaten yeah. up the Lord. Truly. The only, the only person outselling Colleen Hoover right now is literally one of the princes of England. <laughs> A hit, but that was, we wanted to know. Mm-hmm. We wanted to know Prince Harry's story. You better believe I had that shit. Mm-hmm. Me too. He's my OG crush, and I love Meghan Markle. So I was like, yep, yeah, let me read their point of view. And so it's it's just fascinating to watch what the machine turns in turns on for. Creates. Yeah. And then the others that co- squeak in that you're squeak like. I mean, wait, wait, look, look. Also, there's the, the, so I guess the big idea, there's like a subsection of the big idea, which is the TikTok sensations, right? Okay. Talk on it. Uh, which, 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 which we'll talk about. So I think that what Colin Hoover's Colin Hoover has done is she is an example to me of what happens when you keep writing, despite your publisher telling you you're not writing big ideas, right? Every, every interview I've read about her, I don't know her personally. I, you know, I, 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 I'm happy that like an author has had this kind of success. I hope that it happens to other, to like some BIPOC people. Um, I think that, and especially because she's at my publisher. So I'm very happy that my publisher is doing well. <laughs> yes. Buy your book. Um, yes, please give me an, uh, whatever. Anyway. So so I think that that's, that's what happens when you just keep writing because yeah. there was a time where publishers didn't want the books that are on the New York Times bestseller list right now by Colleen Hoover. So she self-published them and yep. you better believe. And now the same publishers are eating fucking crow and throwing money at her saying, can we please publish your books now? Right. And so it is, it's like, it's a testament to just keep writing, just yeah. keep writing because it is so this, this, this industry will break your heart and discourage you and, and like shatter you into a million pieces. And all you have are your stories. Um, and maybe we're not going to sell 60,000 copies a week, right? Because of, because, because we became TikTok sensations, but maybe we'll be able to sell a little bit more. Um, and, and you don't, and, and nothing sells front list, like nothing sells your backlist. Wait, what is it? Is it nothing sells your frontlist? Like, right. Nothing sells your backlist, like a frontlist title. Right. And so we're seeing why does Colleen Hoover have 15 books on the New York times bestseller list? Because she wrote fucking 30 books. Exactly. She keeps putting in that work and, 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 you know, it's not guaranteed that you're going to get a hit. And like you said, I would love to see, I don't believe, and this is just me, and you can call me a cynic and you can, you know what I mean, lambast me. But I, when we look at who gets the big hit, mm-hmm. right, 
I, I don't have faith in the general reading population that a BIPOC person can hit like this, unless it is a book about racism and you're reading said book because you want to show people that you don't suffer from the disease of racism. Okay. So remember the summer of 2020 when all those books about black people and racism and all that were trending yep. and like all making the pledges. pledges and they had the black boxes on social media and they had to like, we're going to give free shit to black people and all this. Venmo your... Venmo your black I'm sorry. Friend. Sorry I didn't Venmo you, Danielle. That's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you for not doing that. Um, we don't see those books anymore on the list. I don't see Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. I don't see Stamped by Ibram... Dr. Ibram Kendi. I don't see how to be anti-racist. I don't see all of those books still on there. They might kick back up because, you know, police brutality is constantly happening. But I just think that unless it's an ism and unless it's medicine for white people, they have a hard time. I, I don't even, I even wonder if a queer story could reach the magnitude of one of these. I mean, Adam's done pretty well. They both yeah, die at the end. Not for YA. I'm thinking for adult. For adult. For YA, yeah, absolutely. Because teens love to cry. I love crying. And I love making Adam, the jerk. I, I think <laughs> Adam's book provides a type of catharsis that I long for in books. I don't want to yeah. cry in every book, but yeah, like it is. It's just like the perfect tearjerker, right? Um, no one believes him. No one believes the title. No, because you're like, oh my God, look, he's so handsome and cute and tall. He could never break my heart. And then he he does. He shatters into a million pieces. I do think that the YA side. YA side is a little different. Yeah. Space to make a hit that we could come from more than an adult. I mean, look, I, I truly think that my publisher turned on their machine for me. Um, but I'm, I'm a slow burn. So we'll see where Zerata Cordova ends up in, in a few years. Yeah. But Orchidia is slowly cooking. She's at that bitch is everywhere. Everywhere I go, I see that bitch. I'm like, yes, I take a picture everywhere I go. I look for her and I find I know her. you're annoying. <laughs> I'll stop taking pictures. I'll stop sending them to you. I'm like, yeah, it's called distribution. <laughs> I know. But that's what you see. That's what about that. The hit idea, the big idea that gets distrib- distributed distribution. is the one that everybody is reading. Mm-hmm. Right, because if nobody can find your book, then no one can read it and talk about it and be Absolutely. like this book. And so many of the distribution, period, mm-hmm. point blank. So our books get to go period. and die. Yeah, in, you know what I mean. Literally die on the vine, and so that's that's the key too. Is a lot of this shit is manufactured, and I just I just wonder if let's say if lessons in chemistry was written about. Black and, La- and Black and Latinx or Asian um, chemists trying to break in in the 60s. I don't know, unless there is an adaptation, like... Um, unless you brownwash everybody in the adaptation. Right. It's not going to work. I Fine. think that... And that you know why? It's because white women don't want to feel guilty Correct. while they're reading. Correct. Correct. Um, yes. I mean, I don't want to feel guilty either. I don't... I like... But... But what the hell? Like we're or, yeah. Or if they don't want to feel guilty in certain areas, or they want to feel good about themselves. So the help is right. a book that also has a white savior narrative part of it. So it's like yeah, we can feel bad about our ancestors creating an apartheid state in the South, but look, this one, this one girl helped all of these sad black maids like get their story out in this you know what I mean like they can have that Skeeter save the day Skeeter help their those little colored um cleaning ladies and like, I can't stand whatever <laughs> you know I was a teacher at the time um when that book came out and three of my students parents we know what color they are gifted me that book <gasps> gifted it to me 
and said, oh my God, I just read this book. It was so moving, so powerful. I had to give you this book. That was the gift that they gave me for Christmas for taking care of their children and teaching them how to read. That is the book. And I threw it out every single time. I was so mad, so mad, so mad. Um, And not that I don't want to read about a book that deals with that because that is literally the story of, of some of my grandparents. I don't want to read about it written by a white woman. So the fact that I think that if I were to write a version of The Help, it would have a very different trajectory than Catherine Stockett or whatever her name is, homegirl, um, wrote that book. So I just have questions about who gets to be a hit and how those hits are created. Um, and I, you know, some organically and some, some aren't. And I do think that YA has the space for more BIPOC and marginalized content creators to have a hit. Yeah. Fiction in all genre. And yeah. I mean, I, I think about, I think about adult romance and I, I feel like all of the push that, that like people like Quana Jackson, Rebecca Weatherspoon, Adriana Herrera, like all of this push for diversity just sort of evaporated and now every single rom-com is just two nice people in a small town and that's it like and 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 i wonder if like and i don't particularly think that like everything is a big idea i think that the executions for some of these books are just really well done um but I don't see that translating. I have publishers tell me that something isn't a big idea, right? Like my Magic Mike series. I thought that was a really cool idea. And like Sourcebooks was one of my first rejections. And they were like, we're, we don't really think this is a big idea. And that was what they told me. Wow. And And I was like, okay. And then they bought another small town romance. And I'm like, how is a small town romance a bigger idea? So I just don't understand what that means. Let's, right? talk about it. Let's talk about what are the ingredients do you think for a big idea? I, I don't know. Okay. So I've <laughs> never been told that anything that I've created that I've written myself is a big idea. Mm-hmm. I've had, um, I would say through my company, I've had two big ideas, meaning that I, that publishers invested money thinking that they're going to be big ideas and we're yet, they're yet to come out. So we're, we, we shall see. Um, but I was also told, like when I submitted the Marvelers, everyone said, you can't do a magic book, magic school book. It was rejected everywhere. It was rejected all over town except for two places and it went to auction and they still wouldn't, they wouldn't, um, go over, I think it was 35 K. And so, and then, I mean, we got it up just a little bit, but not by much because they said that magic school books, how can you write a magic school book in the era of Harry Potter? Right. So I don't know what makes for a big idea other than writing about white people, but then there are lots of books written about white people that flop. Right. So I don't so know. So that's, if- that's like, that's an easy answer, but it's not the whole answer. Not the whole answer. Right. Like, so it's like, is it, I think it's theme. It's theme meets execution meets publishing machine. Right. Right. Can we turn on the machine and get enough people reading? I think crawdads, for example, if we look at that, people really like to watch movies and to read books about poor white people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if poor white people are reading those books. But they but- also don't like it when, a, like when it's, and you're going to kill me, but when it's on voices. <laughs> right. They don't. Because one of our favorite writers, Sarah Nicole Lemon, who is literally one of my favorite writers, she's completely marginalized because she's actually writing the authentic story. What they want is... Right. She could write fucking circles around that lady who went on that safari and, like, murdered people. I don't know. Allegedly, I I don't know what happened. I'm just... (laughs) just There are several articles that we can link in the show notes. There's a lot of articles about it. Sarah Nicole Lemon 
could write circles around where the crawdads sing with Dunder Cheap, Valley Girls. Like, come on, bro. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, to me, I was like, oh, Dunder Cheap, the execution is great. This is a big idea. What happened? The publishing machine didn't turn on. And I think that because it's, it was own voices. I think that the lens of the well-to-do white woman writing about the woe is me impoverished white people and glamorizing it mm-hmm. and the bootstraps and all that stuff. And like, Oh my gosh, this little fragile bird or whatever, who's poor, who needs help. That is the lens on that story means that so many other well-to-do upperly mobile, rich white women can read that book and not feel complicit um, in the dehumanization and in what has created the poverty and access that story, frankly. Lessons in chemistry is the easiest one to figure out because it's like everybody loves the story of a woman who is boxed out because of her gender. Mm-hmm. I'm a feminist and I'm not allowed to be a chemist because it's a male field. Like already we're supposed to line up for that tale because that sucks, right? It completely sucks. Um, but then it's like, okay, but what if we made that lady black? Would it be as big? If we stay in the 60s, what if we make this person Puerto Rican and exposing the United States government was neutering women on the island, right? Like, would would the book be as big, right? Like, right. But then it would also be niche because let's say Lessons in Chemistry was told let's say from a black point of view, then it will be like hidden figures. Then it would be something you could trot out for black history month. Then it'll just be the February book of the month pick, because then we can talk about the 1960s and segregation and these black women who were really smart and who had a double marginalization, right? Same with, if we make them Puerto Rican, right? Then it's like, Oh, it's Latino history month. Okay, great. We'll trot it out in, on September 15th. Right. And we'll put it in and it'll just be that thing on the display for Latin Latino voices. Right it becomes a niche versus for everyone. Right. I do think that some of us get to be the self insert, right. For everyone. Yeah. Let's get to be specific. Yeah. One of the things that really kind of like, it didn't actually make me depressed, but it just made me shake my head and just like, you know, deep old person sigh. Whereas I, I saw this, like this, this Twitter person, um, say like, Oh, like as soon as I see that, a character is described as being brown, I can no longer, I just can't see myself as the character, so I don't want to read it. What? Um, yeah, there was like a whole flare-up, dust-up. Like, please explain that to me. And it was like a young, it was like a young person saying this from her mouth on TikTok and Twitter. And I'm like, no, ma'am. No. I Like, we're, you're supposed to be the, like the generation that's like, smarter and doing better than the rest of us who grew up in like the problematic (laughs) nineties. It's so frustrating to me because my entire life I had to self insert myself as a, like I had to align myself with the white character in books. And if I wanted to enjoy fiction, that's all there was. Or I could read books about civil rights and slavery and see myself reflected. Yeah. And I had no Ecuadorian books. No, not a one. You had Sunken Place, Sandra Cicernos, and the House Cicernos, of Cicernos, and yeah. <laughs> I, I I was thinking about that. I was like, I was trying to think of Latin books, Latinx books, Latina books, whatever you want to call it, um, that have blown up and done really well that are not about poor immigrant Latin people, right? And I can't, I, I struggle to think about it. Mexican Gothic is, might be the only one, um, that have like hit the list and done all this stuff because uh, like the, the incredible life of Oscar. Wow. Right. It is a tragic story. It is a tragic story. Um, beautifully written, tragic story. Uh, the, when, uh, in the time of the butterflies, it, you know, it's like, yay, us bad Dominican, like DR dictator. Um, murder everyone dies um even this new one olga dies dreaming um that ending is just made me really uncomfortable i it it does not paint the people of puerto rico in a very good light and and i just don't think it's fair um and so and that was supposed to be a big book and it was like everyone was shouting about it 
during Hispanic Latinx History Month. And then it was gone. And then that's it. No more, no more conversation. And that's why I don't like having books out in September. (laughs) It's true because you get right on that list. I mean, it, yeah, it is, it's an interesting conundrum for us. Um, We get to be specific versus for everyone. Um, So how, as a marginalized, as a marginalized author, as a BIPOC, like woman, how do we, can we even approach something and say like, here's, here's my big idea. Cause I, I remember going out with a more actually that anthology and I was convinced our agent was convinced. I was like, nobody has done this before. It's a cool idea. Literally 19 rejections. I think let's talk about each little pocket of publishing because I sure. think one has its own thing. So I do think in children's books, that's anything under YA. I think there is the capacity and the possibility to have a hit. Okay. Like I think that children's books, there's a malleability. It's like, it's run by parents, teachers, gatekeepers, librarians. I think that you can get some really big hits there. I'm waiting for, a hit that's on the level of Percy Jackson, a hit that's on the level of, of JK. We haven't, we haven't had that in a while. We haven't had that since children of blood and bone. Yeah, you're right. Right. Like, but even children of blood, we're going to go to YA. I think if Percy Jackson, the first Percy Jackson is middle grade to me. I oh, think yes. we have some flares, right? Like some things that are doing really well, but I have hope that children's books can be where we can find a property that can blow up. YA I do think it's more malleable. I do think that, um, though, that the way YA is going now, the bestseller list is reverting back to the way that it was previously. Seven years ago. Seven years, eight years ago. I think that um, if we're just talking fantasy, I think everything's going to sort of like a more older fantasy, a little few more chili peppers, looking for catering to the adult voice versus the teen, the adult reader, I mean, versus the teen I mean, the books are starting to be $20, 1999. So yeah. Who are are these books for? Right. I do have faith that something in the YA market could blow up. Children of Blood and Bone is the last one that was um, BIPOC, but I have faith that there's more space to play. Adult romance, I have no hope. Zero hope. Me neither. I think that sexual racism, I think um, the fact that white women readers will not identify themselves as the main love interest if it's not a white woman or they struggle to really, really impacts how big something can be and even the love interest, right? So then you got, you know what I mean? It's always got to be swirl. It's always a swirl every single time. Um, and I think that romance has a lot of fish to fry. I think it's so segregated. It's so, so segregated. I was walking to Barnes & Noble the other day, and I was like, oh, okay, I see where the the Latinos and the Black romances are versus the ones for everybody else. And there are so few Asian romances that I've seen. There's a couple, but I don't see them face out and, like, available. Yeah, And there's always, like, one author in each group that does gangbusters because it's what it's the tokens it's like we've blessed the token so then the whole community is okay so like you can't cry and whine so Mm -hmm. if we have jasmine who i love then the other black women can't complain right like if you have your few anointed ones then it's supposed to shut up everybody else but until there's a variety or a balance i'm like miss me with that like you're not doing anything fantasy with like Poppy Wars and Babel and like I have I do have hope in adult fantasy. Not a lot. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm sprinkling a little a sprinkling of adult that will get a, a big idea. Yeah. I wanna see I wanna see something in the in the sci fi space, to be honest, in adult sci fi. Like a have, big property. I think I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'll figure it out. I'll figure I it out. Know for sci-fi 
They're even just, they're mean to the women, to the white women. So I'm like, oh, so I have no chance. You hate that. <laughs> so you doubly hate me. You know what I mean? Like I just have, and I'm not willing to fight that fight. I'm not fighting with y'all. Like I can't, I can't take it. But there have been hits, but they had to work so hard for it, right? Like N.K. Jemison, Blood, yes. Sweat and Tears, Nettie Okorafor, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, right? Like they had to. Rebecca Roanhorse. Rebecca, scrape and claw their way despite to- despite the publisher not doing enough if you're listening do more, do more. uh right like it is it, it, and and so these are like these are the 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 the, the, the big ideas that we talk about where like this the, the the ideas are there and the and 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 the author is successful in spite of having no marketing having very little having to like do your own tours, arrange your own things. Like the machine doesn't turn on for you. And yet you make something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Something crackle, right. Versus getting a runway, a golden runway or a golden parachute, right. To like yeah. launch in, into publishing and to have your, your big idea, your idea become a hit automatically. Yeah. Right? That level of investment, like to create the campaign of like, everybody should be reading this thing. Yeah. Um, Because word of mouth, at the end of the day, word of mouth is more powerful than anything. That's why why TikTok is so big. But I read an art, like, there was, like, an article that came out that said, like, that people at TikTok sometimes, like, fudge with the algorithm and they create viral virality. Mm -hmm. I Um, saw our our beloved Rebecca Weatherspoon was talking about it and was like, so are we going to actually talk about the fact that TikTok and the algorithm isn't racist? And... You know, um, if you're messing with the algorithm, there are metrics that you're messing with. So, and we are human beings plagued by all of these isms. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, and then I wonder about TikTok. I wonder about when that effect runs out. Will it run out? Everything does. Yeah. I mean, I, and then you have some publishers, like that's how they make their bread and butter right now. Like source books is just pulling out all of the, the TikTok sensations, uh, the way that they did with Wattpad. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and so like it, it is, it's, it, but I think that I was also, it's not fair to the writers because you'll have a book that was a TikTok sensation and then the publisher publishes it. And then book two, nothing, you know why? Because this author hasn't been edited and you rush them to, yeah. Just cobble together something for book two. So where does your big idea go? Right. right. Where does your big author go when it's you're just wrung dry by a publisher who uses you and throws you away like nothing? Right. And I hope that doesn't happen to like, um, I think her name is, is it Olivia Blake who wrote the Atlas six? Uh, um, I have faith in Tor. I think Tor is a good publisher. Me too. And I really like those books. And that is a, a person of color. And I just want to see that sort of series grow. I don't care how people feel about it. Like she's doing her thing. Um, I want to see sort of more of that, more by yeah. people getting these big runways and getting these big hits because it makes way for others. I think, uh, uh, was it Union Square Books picked up The Broken Blade by a native author, which was also a TikTok sensation? Great. No, that is that is excellent. Also, yeah. we were talking about Twilight. Okay, and according to the uh, to this article, it was the biggest Y deal at, at its time. Three books, seven hundred and fifty k advance for the three books. For three books, mm-hmm. and in came Tahara Mafi's uh, Shatter Me at a million. Oh wow! Um, I didn't know. Actually, didn't know that. Yeah, Tahara's was the biggest at the time. Wow. A million for three. I, I wonder think. whose book is the biggest now. Hmm. Who knows? Who knows? We'll we'll never. <laughs> um. So as a as a creator as a packager, how do you think it's a waste of time to imagine to ideate something that you're working on your next book as oh my god this is going to be the next big idea the next big thing? Yes, because you don't, you can't control any of that. So mm-hmm. what I do, instead of saying like, this is going to be the next big idea, because that is also a pompous way to go about like creating something. I think because I'm, I'm in the business of making commercial fiction. 
I think, how can I bring the most readers to this thing? To the yard. To the yard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I know you, you like a song. Do you want to sing the milkshake song? No, I don't. <laughs> Um, How can I bring the most readers to the yard, but also create something that is rich culturally, but entertaining at the same time, right? How can it have both? Yeah. Um, I think just thinking about what's working in the zeitgeist. So I'll give you an example of of a book that's coming out that I have uh, through my company, Promise Boys, right? It's a mystery, murder mystery, like one of us is lying. And it's about three boys in detention at the time when their principal is murdered. They're at an all-boys school that is really, 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 really strict. And, of course, they get blamed for it because they go to a school that is um, mar- that has full of marginalized kids. So they already have targets on their back. And so I wanted to do a mystery that was in the vein of something that publishers didn't think would blow up. Our beloved Karen McManus got no promo, got no love. So true. Or- nothing and one of us is lying and came out and ate up everybody right that year 2017 and so hasn't even been put in paperback it's been on the new york times list for five years in hardback and i thought wow there's something special that she did there and what i wanted to do was i wanted to think through what does this look like a mystery look like in a school that's all black and brown boys let's talk about toxic masculinity how can i replace a text like a uh, separate piece, which is a book that a lot of kids had to read. I had to teach it. That is about white boys in a British, or I think it's British, like private school dealing with masculinity and how they feel and like how they're like dealing with each other. How do I do that in a setting that's black and brown boys? And publishers really liked it and came for it really hardcore because of the way the story is told and the fact that we haven't seen characters like this featured. However, it's just a mystery. It's a mystery that you, it's a who done it. And it's stressful and it's told in multiple points of view and transcripts and articles and like all of these things. Um, And so I didn't set out to create the next big thing. I set out to take something that I knew was working in, in the zeitgeist for teenagers and put it through a different lens and feature kids that aren't usually featured, putting them at the center, right? Wanting, I want black and Latino boys to be able to see themselves to read and to be in a genre piece it's just a mystery it is just a mystery but it features them in their lived experience in their lives Um, and so when I sit down to create that's how I think I sit down and I say okay what is actually working what am I seeing teens read I have a 16 year old niece I'm like what are they what is she reading what is she talking about what are her and her friends into and then I think through how can I do that um, if it's it's usually a white thing that is blown up featuring white kids, what does that look like when you add culture, community um, into it and change and completely change it? Uh, Because a mystery looks different in an all-Black and Latino neighborhood than it does in a rich white neighborhood, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a fool's errand to sit down and think you're going to create a hit idea because, one, you can't control what hits, and Mm -hmm. two, have to write something that resonates. And I think that's what your focus should be. On. Yeah. I think, I think uh, something that happens to writers, something that happens to me is like, I, I have always felt like I'm one or two years behind a trend. And I know you feel the same way, right? Like our books, if Labyrinth Loss had come out two years ago, maybe it would have done better, been a different book, right? Like I don't know. And that, and that, that kind of thinking is also a waste of time um, because you can't control anything, but I have to, I have to grieve that process. Um, and so what ha- like, but at the same time, if I got discouraged every time a book was a little similar to mine, I would never have, I would never write the year that I sold the vicious deep, Mermaids in Coney Island, Mer- Teenage Merman, 10, I counted 10 other mermaid books were bought and came out the same year, right? And and so, like, what was I going to do? Shelve my book? I, I mean, it, it did what it did. It launched my career. I love it. It's, like, raw talent. I reread some of it. Uh, plotting is a mess. <laughs> but... 
it was still, it still like, it still launched my, it still launched my career. Right. It was, it was like my first step into this trash fire kingdom that we are all trying to stake a little claim of. And, and so let's say I'm, nobody can tell, right. And because no one can tell a story the way that we can individually, and I'm talking every single person, I don't care, like, no matter where you are, who you are, who you are, you're, you have the ability to tell a story with a singular point of view, right? Obi-Wan from a certain point of view. That is the only thing you should be thinking about versus trying to chase this ephemeral big idea that is out of your control. I think that's my advice. Yeah. And I think you have to create the thing that you can create and hope. And I do think you can be smart about what you're creating. Yes. Creating in a vacuum, like thinking deeply, reading a lot, watching trends, looking at stuff and creating the thing that you're most excited about that has ingredients that you know people really like, right? So my adult book, I really studied in the, in the pocket of readers that I would like to attract, attract, I looked at the books that they really like and love. And it helped me build and add things to my adult book that I might not have had I been working in a vacuum. But because I'm thinking deeply about the cross sections of readerships that I would love if I could orchestrate all the things that I want. And so adding some of those ingredients that I'm, I'm curious about, and I think being really smart and purposeful about it. And just know that like the culture and community, the culture of the Western publishing industry is what it is. And there are some ceilings that are going to be brick for us. And I had to sort of accept that. Um, and, and just be like, okay, that, that is what it is. And hope that maybe. And create in spite of it. Create in spite of it, that it, that it might change. When I see the success of, you know, a Marvel property like Black Panther, I'm like, okay, this is like. Somebody wants this. Right. People want this. It brought everyone to see it. Right. No matter this movie is not just for, for black people, but it caters to the black gaze. Right. It, it not gaze. Like. I know what you mean. (laughs) In case G A Z E. Okay. Even though love, love the black gaze, love my black gaze. I'm part of the community. And so, (laughs) but it really caters to that viewer. Um, and invites, but invites all others to enjoy it because it's also a superhero movie, right? And what they did in, in Wakanda Forever, inviting even more people to see themselves reflected, um, which is really exciting and interesting. And I just think that I'm hoping that in five years, when we look back on this episode, we will be able to list out a couple of hits, a couple of hits, that literally come out of marginalized communities that are massive. That's my hope and dream and wish um, that we see that. And things that are not, don't just hit because they're rooted in racism. Right. Or, uh, or homophobia or a thing. Right. It's like, I try not to count those when I'm bringing up ta Coates or even the hate you give, I don't want to count those because white people put those in a bucket to say that I'm going to read them and, and that's going to cure me of racism. And they became a hit because they became medicine. And that's important medicine for people to, to take. But I also would love to see a big love story, right? Wouldn't it be incredible for us to have people rabid over a love story like Outlander, but it features two Latinx people in love, right? I'd love to see it. Where is it? Donde esta? No me mires. No me mires. Like, (laughs) I want to see rabid people being like, yo, did you read the books? Oh my God, look at this casting. Oh my goodness. Like, Like going crazy online, Facebook groups, all this stuff over, you know what I mean? These two. Like, I want to see them rooting 
as you can see, Paloma is like my favorite. Why do you keep using that name? God damn I it. I love Paloma. <laughs> I love it. Paloma Triste. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love that word. Um, if I marry a Latinx man, that's the name of my first child is Paloma. I'm going to call them Pigeon. That's fine. It's still a beautiful word, even though it means pigeon, you jerk. It's gorgeous. And I love and that popcorn. song. popcorn. <laughs> In Ecuador, it means popcorn, too. That song. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Anyways, I want to so, see that. That's mm-hmm. what I want to see. That's what I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hoping for, too. And I, I think that, I think we all just got to get busy. I think everybody needs to get busy. Look at, do do the work in your books. And I hope that publishers, if you're listening, turn on the machine for other people, take a chance. You can't take a chance on just one book at a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Take a chance. And I would say, be a little bit more creative and open-minded about the things that you pick to hit. See what, and see what happens and stop turning on the machine for people who are outside of community writing about communities that they don't know about. We're going to end on a positive note. <laughs> yes, a positive note is that Zoraida Cordova will have a hit, honey. She'll have a hit. Shut and I up. Like a real it. positive note. We're going to get we're going to get people writing. I want everyone listening, writing down your ideas, shape them, make them grow, write your thing, just put everything into it and just keep just keep writing no matter what hopefully we'll return to this episode this will be a time capsule episode that we return to in five years and, and yeah see. when the aliens have come and uh the aliens might already be here so i don't know good night that's it for this week's episode of deadline city thank you so so much for listening in Our goal is to demystify the publishing industry and count on listeners like you for your support. If you like what you hear, comment, subscribe, give us five stars, and share the episodes. Check out our Patreon and Ko-fi information at deadlinecity.com slash support. See you next week, and for now, ride on.